0: Welcome to Bible Study. It's good to be with you again today, and uh, thank you for tuning in with us. We are studying the Book of Acts. Today we are halfway through the book, Uh, amazing topics. Uh, We learn about some things in the first part of this book, uh, how um, God called his people to stand for the truth, and uh, we learn about uh, some key people involved in the formation of the Christian Church the amazing conversion of Paul and uh, Peter and the miracles which Peter perform. We are going to have also a bit of transition today and going a bit further into the missionary journeys. So stay with us as we go through this study today. I'd like to say thank you to the people coming on the panel again. Stephen, welcome with us again today. Thanks, Nick. Nice to be here. And also, Will, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure to be here, Nick. And Len, it's our uh, facilitator, as you already used to this, uh, position which Len takes. uh, And thank you, Len, for preparing this study and taking us through. I'll just pass it straight to you.
1: Welcome to the program today, listeners, and thank you for your kind words, Nick. We're doing Bible study number seven from the book of Acts. And we've seen how Christianity, directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, rapidly spread through the region we now call the Middle East and Asia Minor. Last week, we learned how the Lord used the Apostle Peter to bring the good news of salvation to the Gentiles, that is, the non-Jews. As well, we learned about the miraculous deliverance when Peter was released from prison. This week we will see how the Apostle Paul was used to carry the gospel message to the Gentiles into new territory on the first of his three missionary journeys and we'll be studying from Acts chapter 13 and 14. But before we start I'll ask you Will if you wouldn't mind just to pray for us.
2: We thank you Heavenly Father for the lessons that we can learn from the history of the early church and apply the principles uh, of the outpouring of the Spirit and work for God in our lives today. pray that you will bless the Christian church as we uh, follow the commission that has been given us by Jesus. And bless our study here today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, Will,
1: could you please recap from last week about what happened at Antioch?
2: The apostles were called to Antioch because um, there was a lot happening there. Uh, there was a large-scale um, movement to uh, Christianity, uh, and it was there that uh, Christians were forced first called Christians. Of course, in Antioch, there was a, a Gentile church being founded, as well as uh the substantial amount of a number of uh, Jews that were there, and uh, it became, as it were, the regional headquarters for Christianity outside of Jerusalem. And some people say that, uh, in some respects, it's even uh, it even surpassed the church in Jerusalem because of size and fervent uh, work of uh, the gospel being preached.
1: Yes. Now, Stephen. Would you mind reading, please, Acts chapter 13,
3: verses 1 to 3? That'd be great, Len. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off.
1: Okay, so they fasted, which means go without food, of course. They prayed, and the Holy Spirit said that these people had something special. What is the significance of the fasting, praying, and placing on hands on
3: Paul and Barnabas? Well, the fasting and praying would come about because the church felt that there was a need for special, special connection with God. And so they would have been praying and fasting. And in the process of that praying and fasting, um, God spoke to them and told them to set apart Barnabas and Saul for a task that he had called them to. Um, which is really interesting because in verse 3 it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And sent ones are apostles, aren't they? Yes. And so it's almost like Barnabas has been elevated to apostle status along with Saul, who we more favorably know as Paul, really. Mm. And so they are sent off to carry out the task that God has appointed them to do.
1: Yes. The question is,
3: where were they sent? Well, that's really good because we read about that in the rest of the chapter 13 and in 14. They're sent off on the very first of Paul's missionary tours or missionary journeys. And the first place they head to from Antioch is a place called Cyprus.
1: Right, which is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. That's right. Not that far off the coast of um, where Antioch was. And so off they went. Now, when they got there, or what was their normal modus operandi, Nick? How did they sort
0: of start their work in a new area? Chapter 13 and uh, verse 5 in the book of Acts, it says that when they arrived in Salamis, They preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Interesting thing that they find a place where they could go and start preaching the gospel. And that place was in the synagogue because that was a common ground where people were seeking God already. And uh, they start to make that connection as Jesus actually told them, go in Jerusalem and in Judea and uh, for the rest of the world, meaning starting with the people who know uh, something about uh, God. And I think that was a very good place to start in the synagogue.
1: Yes, I agree. It reminds me of many years ago when I was a student and um, the lecturer was saying, you begin with the known. And then you move to the unknown. And so they were used to uh, worshiping in a synagogue, although they weren't exactly Jews anymore. So after traveling through Cyprus, Saul and Barnabas came to Paphos, which is on the western side of Cyprus. And there they came across two very influential men. Nick, who were they?
0: Uh, first of all, we read that uh, there was um, the governor of uh, of the region, um, which you'll say a very influential man, and his um, right hand, if you like.
3: Stephen, what sort of people were they? Well, Sergius Paulus was the proconsul, and as Nick was saying before, that meant he was an important um, political figure in the area. I'm not sure whether his, how, how large his proconsulate, if that's the right word, spread, but clearly it was in the western part of Cyprus, as you mentioned before. Um, the other chap was a guy called... Elymas, who was a magician. He was a Jewish, um, the Bible says, false prophet, also known as Bar-Jesus, which just means son of Jesus, which is kind of interesting when you realize that Paul is going to be talking about Jesus eventually. I think it's kind of an intriguing thing. And um, if, as you read on through the chapter, it becomes very evident that um, these two men are interested in what Paul and Barnabas and their assistant John are going to be talking about particularly Sergius Paulus, who we find out becomes a believer, whereas Elimus or Bar-Jesus, depending on which verse you look at, becomes quite opposed to what they have to say.
1: Okay. And so, as the governor, Sergius Paulus, was having an interest in the stuff that Paul was presenting, what did Elymas actually try to do to his master, I suppose you'd have to say?
3: Well, verse 8 says, but the magician Elimus for that is the translation of his name opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith Yes. so that's pretty straightforward so obviously he was trying to undermine um, Sergius Paulus's interest in what Paul was saying so his interest was positive whereas the Bar-Jesus slash Elymas' interest was negative
2: Okay, now
1: Will would you mind reading Acts 13 verses 9 through to
2: 12 Yes, I like the way that uh, Saul or Paul now as he is called reacts to this this work that is going against the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 9, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him, lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened or what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so this miracle actually touches the proconsul and the he believes ok so he was a sorcerer that is Elimus. Yes.
1: and uh, one could imagine he could pull a rabbit out of a hat or something like that <laughs> <laughs> but he couldn't cure his own blindness and this of course demonstrated to his master the governor Sergius Paulus that what Paul did was from the Lord and that
3: strengthened his belief mm. now I noticed, Lynn if I can just butt in there, it says that he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Yes. So what convicted him wasn't the miracle so much that Paul performed when he made the um, magician go blind, but what he'd said. And the the miracle just sort of strengthened that belief that was already germane in him because of the words that Paul was using. Mm. Clenched it, eh? I think so.
1: Now, panel, this Jew, Elimus, did not accept the Gospel, while the Gentile Sergius Paulus did. What does that say about reaching others with the Gospel message? Any comments?
3: I, I, there's lots of things that are running through my head, and I'm just trying to sort of put them into a, a kind of a coherent statement. But I guess what it says to me is that the Gospel is available to everybody. And so even though the Jewish people were the ones who had, as the Bible says, the oracles of God and were familiar with God, sometimes they weren't the ones who responded to the teaching that Paul presented or that the other apostles presented. Sometimes it was the Gentiles who responded most quickly. And these Gentiles weren't always just Gentiles who were straight off the street as it were like um, the governor here, the proconsul. Sometimes these Gentiles were, were believers, believers in God who hadn't made the step to become circumcised Um, Jewish followers as it were of the law but they were were respectful of God and so they they were really available and really ready to make that next step to recognise who Jesus was and become a Christian
1: Yes I find it too that often we'll say church people or churched people get very set in their ways and they think that the beliefs that they have is enough whereas the Gentile people those who have not had much experience with the Lord very often accept a lot better
0: and also like to say that um, people who have an experience with God so often they come to the conclusion and almost like saying, Our way or no way, you know if we don't do it, if you don 't do it as we believe is right, then we don't uh, accept it, and particularly you know as was mentioned looking at this uh, a person as being a Jew, you know, which uh, they know about God quite uh, a bit. But uh, if it was not like as they understood, then it was not accepted.
1: Paul and Barnabas basically finished their work. They had gone across from the eastern side right through to the west. And so then they left Cyprus and they sailed to the mainland to a place called Perga. They had a young man with them, John Mark. And he was probably discouraged at this stage or felt it was all too difficult or whatever. We don't really know. So he left there and he went back to Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch, Pisidia in the Lakes District in western Turkey. Now, if you have a look at a map of Turkey, if you imagine it's a nose and it's sort of um, close to the end of the nose on the western side. But anyhow what happened there at this Antioch Pisidia
3: Stephen well um, as was their custom they went along to the synagogue on the Sabbath morning and the synagogue had an order of service which was pretty similar every week in fact it was the same every week and after reading the law and the prophets from the Torah the officials of the synagogue saw these new people around and so they invited them to speak um, saying brothers this is in verse 15 brothers if you have any word of exhortation for the people give it and I'm sure Paul was never backward in taking a step forward, and he thought, here's a wonderful opportunity. So he stood up, and he did, it says, with a gesture, I wonder what that gesture was, he began to speak, I imagine, an opening of the hands or something along those kind of lines to show that he's open and available, and then he begins to share with them um, the story of Israel moving towards the most important part of that story and the story of Jesus.
1: Yes. Um, it's a bit like I was saying before, moving from the known to the unknown, and in this case I think this audience was fascinated
0: So yes. also on that um, aspect you know, the it's very interesting that there was a very well thought approach Oh yeah, he thought it through Yeah, from uh, Paul I mean, he tried to connect with the Jewish people and start to talk about their inheritance uh, Just reminded me about um, Stephen, for example, when he was Speaking uh, in front of the Mm -hmm. uh, people and starting the same from Abraham and all the things, you know, through Jesus and the promise of the Messiah and try to connect with them. Well, it's it's like Lynn said, they start on common ground. So
3: common ground is the story of Abraham. That that's the story that gives them a sense of belonging that they belong to God. So he starts there, and he makes and he makes his moves. So they're, they're nodding their head. That you know, you're told when you're doing selling or when you're being trained to sell that you want to get people saying yes, right? So they're nodding their head. They're going yes, yes, yes. And then he hits them with the hard news, or what we would consider was the hard news, the new news. And they go, and some of them go no, but a lot of them go yes, as we discover um, further on in the chapter. So would you like to read Acts chapter 13, verses 42 to 44, Stephen? I sure would. As Paul and Barnabas were going out, that's going out of the synagogue, the people urged them to speak about these things again the next Sabbath. So I guess they were pretty excited about that. I know I would be if that happened to me. When the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who spoke to them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord.
1: That was a pretty pretty uh, interesting thing, the fact that these two strangers, having spoken spoken about Jesus, were invited to come back and tell us more. We want to hear more.
3: And the, the people there obviously went and talked to the ones, the ones who weren't in the synagogue. Because if the whole, almost the whole city turned yes. up to hear him, I can't imagine that the, almost the whole city regularly turned up at the synagogue on a Sabbath morning or a Sabbath afternoon or whenever it was they had their service time. So I would guess that um, the devout converts had gone home and they'd spoken to their relatives, they'd spoken to their friends. They said, man, we just heard this guy talk about some stuff we've never heard before. It's absolutely fascinating. He's going to come back, or they're going to come back next Saturday. You should come along and listen. Mm. And so they all did. It's pretty exciting stuff from an evangelistic point or a promotional point of view.
2: Yes, and the very next verse from where you'd finished reading, Stephen, a sudden change in in circumstances. It seems to me as if the Jews were feeling that their space was being invaded mm. and their exclusivity, this feeling of their exclusivity, came to the fore. And uh, in Acts 13... Verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. <laughs> what a turnaround. Mm. And yet the, the, the Gentiles were, were ecstatic um, hearing uh, the, the second speech of Paul because uh, verse 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. What a contrast between the reaction of the Jews mm. and the reaction of the Gentiles. Yeah. I, I think that we can learn a lesson from this. Uh, even in the modern church today, we can kind of feel uh, secluded, and uh, this is our turf, our territory, uh, whereas uh, it should be a a Church open to all nations, all people, mm-hmm. and everyone from the street. Lesson that we might learn very hard sometimes.
1: In verse forty-eight that you read there, uh, will it said
2: that they were glad? Yes. Uh, what were they glad about? The gospel is good news. Um, it should uh, it should put spiritual life into anybody. Uh, yes, they were glad that they were included. Now in this great theme of salvation that the
3: Jews felt that was, was their uh, prerogative. I, I think verse 47 sort of helps, you, helps add flavor to that because it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles, so that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now I'm not sure that's quoted from. I, I didn't get time to check that out. But obviously it comes from the Old Testament. And so it sets up the idea that the Jews were to be a light to the Gentiles and now Paul and Barnabas are being that light and the Gentiles are responding to it. Mm. They're yeah. excited by the fact that salvation is available to all people to the ends of the earth, like Will was saying. Yeah.
1: So yeah. really, I imagine, we don't actually uh, hear a great deal about after this, but the Gentiles were very glad there would have been Jewish people who worshipped at that synagogue there who would have become Christians too. Mm. But, of course, there was a remainder and the remainder was quite jealous. Nick, would you like to read from Acts chapter 13 verses 49 and 50 and tell us who or how the Jews incited persecution
0: through? All right. uh, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the old region. But the Jews stirred up the devoted and prominent woman and chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. This reminds me quite a lot about, um, you know, the country I come from, uh, ex-communist country. And uh, when, uh, you know, to... To teach the Bible and the Word of God was not an easy task. But after the communists collapsed and the um, doors opened, we were able to share the good news with many people. And I remember myself personally uh, when I organized some of those uh, meetings, when the meetings were going to take place, all of a sudden, the um, chiefs of the villages or the towns there they just thought, hang on a second, these people are coming to teach us something, you know, and they start to be against mm. all the things. But amazingly, how God could um, walk through, you know, uh, through their opposition mm. and the gospel was preached. And in the first years after the communist collapse in Romania, it was amazingly how uh, people received uh, the gospel in, yeah. in that time. I mean, Satan is doing his work. Of course, when the good news is going to be um, spreaded out.
1: Yeah. In this case, it seems that the Jews got somebody else to do the dirty work for them. Mm -hmm. In this case, the
3: uh, officials and the leading women. And they're described as devout women. So these are women who were um, maybe sort of converts to to Judaism, Mm -hmm. but hadn't hadn't become totally entrenched in Judaism, but they were, you know, God-fearer type women and they, um, they had influence on the, the leading men, and so it all happened.
1: Yeah. So in a crisis situation, many people adopt either one of two ways. It's either fight or flight. Uh, Nick, could you read Acts 13, verses
0: 52? 52. And the disciples were filled with the joy and with the Holy Spirit. In other circumstances, they were happy to suffer, you know, uh, persecution. Mm. But um, with this occasion, they choose to, to leave uh, that region and go to another place instead of facing uh, the persecution. I think that was a very wise um, decision. Yeah,
3: it says that in the previous verse, in verse 51, it says, So they shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. But the first 52 is an interesting one because it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Who do you think those disciples were? Um, I personally think it was all of them, Paul and Barnabas,
1: plus all those who became disciples as a result of their missionary
3: activities there. Mm. It's interesting because obviously um, the persecution is primarily against Paul and Barnabas, but you'd think it would spill over to the new believers as well, and yet... It says they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's hard for me, who's grown up in a very safe place where I've had freedom of religion all my life and where I've never suffered any persecution, in, well, not significant persecution for believing in Jesus, no, no real persecution at all, um, to understand how one could be filled with joy when one is being persecuted. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
2: Well, they, they leave now to, um, as you have read there, Stephen, to a place called Iconium, And uh, we read in Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Now at Iconium they entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so that they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. A change of scene for them Mm. and refreshing in a way. However, uh, trouble is never far behind and unbelieving Jews now start stirring up the unbelieving Gentiles and uh, start working against them.
1: Yes, there seems to be a, uh, a story that's repeated. I mean, the Jews eventually had Jesus killed. The yeah. Jews caused persecution. The Jews had organized persecution of the Christians basically from the, the word go, And
3: here they were at it again. And that was the last time, of course. Which seems a strange thing because if you've cast your mind back um, to earlier parts of Acts where Gamaliel speaks to the Sanhedrin, he says, um, leave them alone. Because if this isn't a God thing, it's going to fail. But if it's a God thing, you may well find yourself fighting against him. And, of course, it, history tells us that Christianity did not fail. Mm. It succeeded, which suggests that um, he was a very wise man. Yeah. And maybe um, we should all take some wisdom and, and advi- some of his advice at times. Yes, go
0: on. Then. I was just going to add something because, Stephen, you mentioned a bit earlier that um, growing up you know, in a country or in, in a region where uh, persecution was not... Uh, practice to Mm -hmm. say so freedom of speech you know and democracy and so on as i mentioned earlier myself coming from a totalitarian regime you know and to to the freedom and so so on i can see the difference if you are bold enough even in a society like ours here Mm -hmm. and speak for um, for the truth and the bible you will see how persecution can raise uh, in places like this also and i believe because they, these people, they start to teach something which was not common uh, or um, very r- well received in that region, and persecution started. And I, when I, I remember when uh, when I came um, to Australia, that uh, you know carrying you know that uh, culture with me, you know, was a bit you know not very politically correct in many aspects, and I could see how people um, you know start Resistant. start to resist. And that was a form of uh, persecution, if you like.
1: Mm. Stephen, Acts chapter 14, verse 5, talks about a plot
3: to harm Paul and Barnabas. Would you read that text and then perhaps comment? Verse 5 says, And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, that's Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them, the apostles learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derb, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued proclaiming the good news. Mm -hmm. So they found out that they were going to have a bit of trouble, so they moved on. And in the process of moving on, they went somewhere else, and they continued to do what they'd ordinarily been doing. They continued to talk about the good news, and to talk about the good news is to talk about Jesus. Did you notice that this lot of persecution, or at least this plot,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: who
3: it was hatched up by? It was hatched up by both gentiles and jews working together
1: right so in antioch the gentiles embraced christianity and many probably did here but there were some who did not Mm. and so they teamed up with the jews who were anti-christian hatched up this plot of course and paul and barnabas decided that discretion is the better part of valor and they left question for you panel Why do people who reject the gospel oppose those who promote it? What's
3: what's behind it? Why not just let them be? Any comments? Well, I think um, Nick kind of alluded to it before. Um, People get used to doing things in a certain way and thinking in a certain way. And sometimes when someone comes along and confronts that way of action, confronts that way of doing, confronts that way of thinking, they can create a degree of animosity and that animosity can lead towards this sort of behavior. Mm.
1: Um,
3: And so they were were comfortable with where they were at. They didn't like the the changes that might come about because of what Paul and Barnabas were sharing, and so they became strongly opposed. The other option is, of course, that maybe they were somewhat convicted, but they didn't want to be. And so they reacted um, more aggressively. Sometimes when uh, you feel that there's some merit in a point that's been put to you that you don't really like, then you can very easily become more aggressive towards that point of view. It's sort of like reacting to your own or responding to your own reaction as well as responding to the people who come with a different point of view. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I I get the
1: idea too that um, people kind of get in their comfort zone. Yeah. And they think by hearing this new stuff, that they might be rooted out of that comfort zone and
2: they don't want to do it. Mm. Hearing about this um, demands a responsibility on their part and uh, change is not always easy for everyone and uh, one way to uh, confront change or confront the challenge for change is to, um, uh, through a process of self-justification. Yeah. Um, I. I stand where I stand I don't want to be proved wrong and that can harden into uh, quite
0: an ugly spirit and I will mention also jealousy because uh, we could see here that uh, people were driven masses of people were driven to what Paul and Barnabas were sharing well, verse 3 next
3: is so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who testified to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done through them. So imagine if you take a different point of view and then um, to what's being shared by Paul and Barnabas, which you're, everyone's at liberty to do, right? And then Paul and Barnabas and perhaps those that are associated with them, start doing amazing signs and wonders. It's going to be due to two things. It's either going to, you're either going to wow, well, I was wrong. But admitting that you're wrong is a hard thing to do once yeah. you've made a public stand for something. So it tends to do the opposite, it tends to harden your heart and that's what really would have, I think, was going on.
1: It's a bit like, um, I'd say, as an analogy, like building a house. You spend your life from childhood with, this, uh, with various philosophies and ideologies and ideas and then you construct your house. This is how I do it. And Then somebody comes along and says, uh-uh, this is wrong, it's got to be torn down. It's not easy. No. And I imagine there are some of you out there, listeners, who might be facing this very thing right now. You might be convicted in your heart that this is the way you should go. But it means a complete turnaround. Anyhow, in the case of the Jews, their hatred of the Christians was because of Christ. I came across this statement recently referring to the Jews' intention to kill Jesus. And this is what it says. Caiaphas, he was the high priest, pointed out that even if Jesus were innocent, he had to be put out of the way or there would be no more Jewish nation. Mm. The Jewish leadership considered themselves patriots who were seeking the good of the nation. And they saw that through Jewry. Nick. Paul and Barnabas ended up in Iconium, a region in central Turkey. And part of this region was a place called
0: Lystra. What happened at Lystra? And in Lystra, a certain man without uh, strength in his feet was sitting as a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him, Intently and seeking that uh, he had faith, he healed, said uh, with a loud voice, Stand up, straight on your feet. And he leapt and walked.
1: Wow, that's something. It's not the first time it happened in Bible history, but you can imagine the people there uh, would have known this man, and there was probably a crowd watching, and here he stood up he had never ever walked you know that's a double miracle or even more that the strength came back to his legs but i mean if you've never walked you don't know how to walk mm. and so here's a here's a
2: separate miracle peter and uh, and john working at um, walking to the temple in acts chapter 3 also tell of a um, a man that was lame from birth yes. that uh, stood up and uh, what a tremendous testimony to the power of the spirit working in people's lives and one would expect that this would uh, do a lot of good for the proclamation of the gospel but of course there are always prying eyes jealous hearts uh, working against things okay Stephen
1: in itself that was interesting what was the reaction of the crowd
3: who witnessed this healing Well, it was the same as the reaction of the crowd that witnessed the healing in Acts 3 that Will was talking about. There was excitement and there was joy, but they attributed it to a different place. Mm. Um, Verse 11 says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So they gave credit, but they didn't give credit to the right (laughs) place. which is kind of interesting to me.
0: Okay. Also, it's interesting that this reaction was based on some tradition because they have, and we will see, uh, maybe later we mention about that, in their um, culture, a poet which wrote some of the um, stories about uh, some gods and how they came down on earth in the form of man. And um, there is a story there about that these um, gods came and they, uh, they seek to find place to an elderly couple and because they receive um, the gods, they make them to be priests of God and also make their house to be a temple of worship and destroy the whole village. Now with that culture in, in the background. They straight away associated what Paul and Barnabas were doing there, mm. thinking, okay, this is what uh, what we experience right now. God just came down on us here.
3: Yes. Yeah, there was a Latin poet. His name was Ovid. Yeah. And he had earlier recorded a, a legend of two gods disguising themselves as human and visiting a town in the same area and seeking a place to rest and so they had this legend in the back of their mind and when Paul and Barnabas did what they did they're going, woohoo, the legend is real it's true, it's happening now and so that's why they gave it credit and verse 13 goes on and says that the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice and of course that created quite a hullabaloo they kind of jumped conclusions, didn't they? well they did, and not unreasonably so I mean, that was the religion that they practised. That was the stories that were in there. So they put two and two together, and they got what they thought was four, but what we know was actually five.
1: When I was in high school, I I found a book all about Greek mythology. Oh, yeah. And just to summarise it, the Greeks believed in many gods, as did some of the other people around the area, the Romans and so on. But the gods dwelt up in the sky above the clouds somewhere. And from time to time, they would come down and visit earthlings. And I think these people there thought
2: this is what happened. Will, you've got something to share with us. Yes. um, After this, uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, able to stop this false worship, um, in the end, uh, finds such strong opposition from many of the people there, from uh, Antioch and Iconium, causing a complete reversal of the situation. Paul uh, is stoned and taken as dead. What a what a change, what a turnaround. Now, you would think that this was a moment to capitalise on.
1: Here these people giving adulation to Paul and Barnabas, calling them gods and so on. Question, why
3: didn't Paul and Barnabas capitalise on that? Well, they couldn't. Because then they would be um, mixing up truth with error. And that would have caused major problems further down the line. It's a bit like when, I just can't remember who it was, you guys can help me out with this, but there's that story where um, the apostles are going through a city and there's this little um, slave girl following along behind and she, and she is um, inhabited by an evil spirit, and she's saying, listen, "Look, listen to these messengers from the Most High God." You could they could have capitalised on that in that situation because she was saying who they were, but instead they turned around and they cast the evil spirit out of her. Now, where was that? I just can't remember where that was. And um, she stopped proclaiming that these men were messengers from the Most High God, and the guys that owned her were very upset because they. Made quite a bit of dough out of this particular slave girl (laughs) so it's the same principle you you can't have um, you can't take the good we can't use the wrong and the evil to benefit the good
0: and the right
1: yeah interesting and
0: and, and it's exactly what we were talking about earlier you know these people are they thinking to themselves we want to give credit to these guys Mm. and they refuse the thing you know i mean we'll tell them who's the in charge in this place yeah, and it's it's interesting how easy things can be turned around, even if you have the message of uh, the gospel, you know, the truth to present to the people. But if if there is something there which will uh, attempt to, to touch their own, uh, you know, routine, if you like, so easily to turn into an opposition. And when we think of today, as we are sharing the gospel with people... There are many people out there who may be embedded in some tradition, in some form of religion, mm-hmm. and it's so hard to accept the good news, the gospel, mm-hmm. because Paul and Barnabas, they were preaching what they saw and what they heard firsthand. They were not trying to just give credit to to the people and to please everyone. Hmm. They were going to share the gospel. And we are here to share the gospel. And if it's not in the gospel, then uh, God forbid, you know, uh, for anyone to be impressed or to follow what we're saying.
1: The glory should be given to God, not the servants of God. Yes. Yes. Well, Stephen... What did Paul and Barnabas do with all this excitement going on and the people wanting to worship them and sacrifice and so on? What did they do?
3: Well, it says in verses 14, 15 through to verse 18, When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good giving you rains from heavens and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. And verse 18 says even with these words they scarcely restrained the crowd from offering sacrifice to them
2: so will who entered the scene and what happened from verse 19 it says but jews came from antioch and iconium and having persuaded the crowds they stoned paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead but then verse 20 says but when the disciples gathered about him he rose up and entered the city and on the next day he went on with barnabas to derby
1: okay Well, there's a question here, Paul was considered dead, Yeah. why didn't God protect them? We don't know what happened to Barnabas, the
0: Bible doesn't tell, but why didn't God protect them? Anybody? In Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 9 and 10, it talks about that uh, Jesus' followers will be treated as he was treated, and uh, why God didn't protect Jesus? Why Jesus had to go through all of those things? Now why Jesus' disciples have to sometime experience hardship, rejection, persecution? Because we are here to testify about God whom Satan hated so much.
3: I guess it does say in the Bible that um, in one spot that the, um, the disciples were, um, or Paul Gloried in the fact that he had to suffer for the for the sake of the name, mm. or for the sake of Jesus and the gospel that he was sharing, because that's what he was referring to, um, and and because you know the verses that you just referred to, Nick, because of the fact that that Jesus had said that this was what was going to happen, it kind of in a, um, in, a, in, a in a negative way kind of reinforced that they were doing the right thing, mm. but nonetheless, why in this particular case um, God didn't stop the crowds from um, stoning Paul I, I really can't say
2: I think it's important for us to realise in our daily lives uh, each one of us came to a stage where we wonder why God doesn't intercede to help a person that we know and love uh, even people that have lived good solid Christian lives mm. moral, uh, moral lives why is there no protection for them And I think there is a bigger scene here that uh, we can't comprehend. God knows uh, the life. He knows the past from the future. And I think that if there's anyone uh, listening that uh, goes through this difficulty and has these questions, I think it's important for us all to just uh, leave it with God.
3: But even though we think that there was no protection there, actually there was. Yeah, because I've just read verses nineteen and twenty again, and it looks like it almost looks like a miracle takes place. Yes, because it says, "Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead." I don't know about you, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure I know what a dead person is. But when the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Um, I don't know about you, but I figure if I'd been stoned by with big rocks, the last thing I'd be able to do is begin walking off to the next town the next day, let alone get up and walk into the city.
1: Yes.
3: So um, that's almost like there's a miracle. So the other option is maybe that God allowed this to happen, so then his power would be able to be seen, and people would go, or well, their faith would be confirmed. Does that make sense? Yes,
1: it does. In fact, um, it was the answer that's been buzzing around in my head, waiting to come out.
3: Well, you'll get there eventually. It takes a while.
1: (laughs) So you just read there the last bit of verse 20 where it says they left. Paul and Barnabas left. They went across to Derby. Um, In Acts 14, verses 21 and 22, Stephen, it talks about what happened
3: at Derby. Would you like to share that with us? Yes. After they had proclaimed the good news in that city, Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, then on to Iconium and Antioch. There they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, It is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. And after they had appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe.
1: All right, our time is slipping away very rapidly. Um, We're going to jump a little bit. Um, In... Paul and Barnabas backtracked really didn't they mm. they backtracked into areas where there'd been persecution and trouble beforehand and I think that was very brave but in backtracking they visited the churches they had already established and what did they do there Nick it tells us in verse
0: 23 of Acts 14. Stephen just uh, mentioned that verse and uh, saying that uh, after the um you know they appointed in every church you know and pray with fasting and commending them to the lord in whom they had believed uh i mean this question who's an elder and what's an elder you know um we may hear in various uh, way you know like uh, elder can be thought of like a, a a bishop or a leader in the church and so on but interesting that from this passage is somebody who is entrusted and um send if you like to preach the word of God,
3: hmm. Hmm.
0: somebody to
1: look after that group or that company isn 't it?
3: Yes, I guess they organized as the need arose, so as there was um a group, you need someone to be to take some sort of leadership role, and so they came back, and I presume that they prayed and they fasted together, and then, in light of their prayer and fasting, they appointed the elder. Um, to lead those who had come to believe in the Lord in that particular city or that particular part of the city.
1: In another place of the New Testament, we'll, in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, it talks about what an elder should be like. Would you like to share that
2: with us? Yes, let me share the characteristics of an elder. uh, Here, called a bishop, by the way, in a modern translation. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Verse 5 says, if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Yeah,
1: so it reminds me a little bit of what happened back when the deacons were appointed. They were to be full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Stephen, the appointing of elders indicates the structuring of the church organization. Is structured church organization a good or a bad thing?
3: Well, I'm um you need some. You need some level of organization. Um, I think organization should be should arise as the need arises. Sometimes we're inclined to impose organization before it's actually really needed. So, if we look at it here, the people came together. So Paul organized someone to lead them. He didn't organize hordes and hordes of structure. He just organized enough so that the the, the plant actually would grow. It's like when you. I'm not a great gardener, but I know a little bit about gardening, okay? So um, when you put in a tomato plant, you usually put a stake in beside it to hold the tomato plant to, go up, to grow up straight, right? Mm-hmm. But you only put in one stake. You don't put in multiple stakes. And that stake is like the structure to hold the plants. The plant can be what it's intended to be. So I guess the trick is we want organisation but not over-organisation.
1: So what happens when there's over-organisation?
3: Well, the plant then tends to serve the organisation rather than the organisation serve the plant for the purpose of growing and producing fruit.
1: It seems very much to me when there's over-organisation, everything becomes tradition. And when there's under-organisation, then it's laissez-faire, it's all over the place.
0: Yeah, I was thinking pretty much in the same way But uh, organisation sometimes can be seen as uh, authority, as something which is authoritative, uh, in my, uh, From my point of view, from what we learn from the Bible here, uh, even though these um, elders were appointed, uh, I believe they were more appointed to serve the mm. community, the church uh, to whom they were set uh, to overlook. And probably if I'm thinking of organization as the service to the people, then sounds better than... Uh, Uh, organization as authoritative and uh, dictatorship can be. (laughs) I
3: I agree that the the, the organization is to serve the growth of the plant, not the plant to serve the growth of the organization, if that makes any sense. And I think sometimes um, in our effort to be effective and functional, we can very easily become over-organized. The trick is to try and get that balance right.
2: Someone once said that if you order a larger machine to do the work, the larger machine requires more maintenance and more oiling and more attention and that's sometimes so with large organizations okay
3: would you mind reading acts 14:22 there they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith saying it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of god is this one of the reasons why
1: people don't become christians or are afraid to become christians they feel that they're going to be persecuted Even if that's so, it doesn't matter. But we can expect to face troubles and trials as Christians. Most likely the members of the Antioch church were greatly encouraged when Paul and Barnabas got back there after
3: their missionary journey. What things would have encouraged them, do you think? I think everything that they told them would have been encouraging, even the negative things. Because in the context of what happened, it was all really, really, really good news. So the good news that there were lots and lots of people becoming Christians and follow well followers of Jesus, that would have excited the people in Antioch because it was at Antioch they first became known as Christians. The, the, the news that miracles had accompanied the work of sharing the testimony about Jesus would have excited them greatly. I know when I hear about something amazing happening like that, I get very excited. And um, I think the other thing that would have encouraged them would have been the fact that although barnabas and paul suffered really badly in spots along the way on that journey the um as we alluded to before that the fact that they were able to get up after they were stoned for example and then move on to the next city the next day would have given them great courage because they would have realized that god was working in and through these men Mm. that they as a church had set aside for the purpose of going on this missionary tour or journey paul and barnabas
1: had gone into hostile territory and god had seen them through and much good had been accomplished. Now the Church was encouraged at Antioch. Question what things encourage you in your Christian life? This is a personal question would you like to share with the listeners today?
2: I think even difficult times that you look upon at, uh, at the time as something that's going to set you back, you, you look back on later and you realize that it was a blessing from God and in your whole Christian experience uh, the way God sees you through circumstances, leads you to um, be a blessing to others is perhaps one of the most satisfying things uh, in any Christian's experience.
0: For me it's, uh, Len, uh, what keeps me going is uh, the love for the people. Hmm. We want to see as many people As possible you know to to be part of the family of God Mm. in which we want to be and uh, you know if it wouldn't be from the love of God for us who came to rescue us and to save us we wouldn't be here today to share um, the good news the gospel and how can we then just uh, uh, stop doing it one of the things that encourages me is
1: how God has led in my life When I look back and I could see the junction points, the um, divides in the road, if I choose this or I choose that, where I could have ended up. And I'm so thankful the Lord has influenced me to be one of his servants today. The Christian church continued to grow numerically and geographically through the activities of Paul and Barnabas. Next week, We'll discover more about the advance of the Gospel as it related to a hot issue that arose in the Apostolic Church.
0: Be sure to be listening, won't you? Thank you very much for being with us today and uh, we wish you God's blessings as you go through the week. And if you'd like to be part of one of these Bible studies uh, live you could um, always join uh, a church which is near you a seven-day adventist church in your area and uh, usually from 9 30 o'clock in the morning um you can uh, be part of one of these bible study although some churches may uh, start bible study at uh, 11 uh, o'clock if you like to to bring your input also Uh, into some of this uh, Bible study. Until next time, may God bless you.